Audi, welcome to the Short-Term Rental Pro Podcast, where we have conversations with those who are killing it in the game, who are making a living with short-term rentals. I'm here with Bailey Kramer, probably the youngest person I've had on the show to this point, who was able to achieve financial freedom through co-hosting. Co-hosting, for those of you guys who don't know, is when you manage a property for someone else and just take a percent of revenue. Bailey, how young were you when you started doing co-hosting? Yeah, Jeremy, thanks for having me on. When I started coasting, I was 20 or maybe 21, 20 or 21. And how many properties do you co-host today? So I scaled my coasting business to 30 units. That was like my big, like straight, just push for coasting. Right now I've scaled back and we can talk about reasons and shifting and stuff. I'm at like 12 units right now coasting. And then I own two Airbnbs, just me. And Bailey, before we were talking, because we were catching up, Bailey and I are old pals. We probably talked what was the first time we talked probably like three years ago at this yep. point yep. and i saw just what he was doing and he saw what i was doing so we just connected and networked but uh, you have actually switched your focus today you've used that the co-hosting you know the cash flow and the income from co-hosting but b the experience the data and you are leveraging that to now build your own ownership portfolio yep exactly and even like when i first started out like you mentioned the first part about building an income stream from co-hosting for me that's how i ended up dropping out of college <laughs> like that that was like, gonna with that what? Bailey's a college dropout Woo! college dropout truthfully like, that's the reason why i was able to drop out is because of the co-hosting side like you said i'm switching focuses now i'm still co-hosting i'm still bringing on new units but really the main focus now is okay now that i have steady income coming from the co-hosting side great i have enough, all this data all this experience now i have a team that helps me run the properties. Now switching a little more to, all right, let's start building some wealth now. Got it. And Bailey, what type of property? So I think Bailey is also someone who he's obviously taken a multi-strategy approach, as has I. He's leveraged other people's properties to now buy his own properties. But what type of, you're not even looking purely short-term rentals uh, for your ownership portfolio. Tell us what type of properties are you looking for and why? Yeah, for sure. So right now I'm strictly focused on midterm rentals in the Midwest. These are properties that you say the price of them, people will laugh if they're from California, New York, or anywhere else where properties are more expensive, but places where the rents for a midterm rental are extremely high. Like for example, I bought a property back in October for 115000 and it's actually a really nice three-bedroom, one-bathroom house. It's 1970, I want to say, so not crazy old it's a really nice little house in a pretty solid area and that one we just got signed from an insurance company for twenty eight hundred dollars per month so twenty hundred twenty eight hundred dollars per month on a hundred and fifteen thousand dollar property and again the tenants are in there for three plus months so there's really little to no communication those are the types of properties that i'm going for right now until i hit probably ten to twenty thousand dollars per month of pure profit cash flow. And then I'll switch over to be like Jeremy and buy these big houses with pools and cool stuff. It's funny how you say big houses because like I look at the houses I buy and like I, I'm my buy box is really like a 500 grand house. That's pretty much it. If you average out, we bought the lowest have bought was 400 and the highest is 750, but predominantly around 500. Whereas Bailey, right now your buy box is what, 150, 150 Not even, 100, 115 is really what I'm going for or even under just to 
just so that I can match those up with the rents of $2,800 per month. Because yeah. there's plenty of properties for 150000 that I could buy. It's just that they're going to bring in the same amount as a $115,000 property where I'm at. So it's like, I'm only going to go for those lower ones. Right sure. Now. And and then what is, so what is a mortgage on a hundred, let's say, I don't know, what interest rates are you getting for 115 grand properties? And what does that monthly mortgage look like? Yeah. So when I bought back in October, it was like, there, I think the rates were, I could be wrong on this. So you can, someone can fact check me, but I'm pretty sure they were like at the peak. Also, I want to mention this. I didn't have W2 income for two years. I was like the least on paper for the banks to see. I was like the least qualified person to buy a house. Yes, I had some experience coasting, but like from the bank's eyes, I was nobody. I don't even think at the time, my, ta- my first tax return was just finishing up. So I don't even think I had any tax return. So I was like the worst of the worst on paper, but I bought it to 115,000. I had to put, I think 30% down. And my interest rate was 8.6%, I want to say. It was high, eight, eight, eight and a half or something like that. But the monthly payment's only 750 bucks, somewhere around there. So yes, the interest rate's stupid high. Yes, I had to put down way too much money, but I'm cash flowing, like cash flowing $1,500 per month from this property. So it's like a crazy cash and cash return. But most importantly, like that deal is not going to make me a million bucks, but it got me in the door for me, got money flowing. And now it's just a matter of duplicating it over and over again. And then now using different strategies now that I have the tax returns and I look better financially to the banks. Yeah, And you put 30K down, so you have 30 grand of equity in the yeah. property. So yeah. are you trying to stack? Is it all in one geographic area or is it just generally in the Midwest? It's like, certain states or are you really trying to what i call is like the fortressing strategy where you just get a bunch in the same area how are you looking to expand this medium term 100k property strategy that you're doing a really good job of yeah so there's really i'm like right now i'm just focusing in indiana and i don't live in indiana i've only been to indiana one time and the one time i've been there i was driving through and got a 500 speeding ticket so that's the only time i've you're actually trying to get through. out you're trying I'm to get out here too long <laughs> so the way that I actually found the market that I just bought my most recent property in, which is like the second one that I own just myself, is I co-hosted for somebody who have who has three properties in that market. And literally before we had so the, the data, podcast, you had the data. From, I had the data so. literally before we hopped on this podcast. I'm texting with someone who found me on Furnish Finder to negotiate a five month lease for. I'm throwing out twenty eight hundred dollars. She's like twenty five hundred. So we'll see where that one ends up. But I was I just saw the proof. I'm like we're literally always booked. So I'm like. It's time for me to get one here. So uh, to answer your question, though, I'm really focusing in Indiana. And then there's really five-ish markets that meet my buying criteria in Indiana. My buying, my buying criteria is really just, number one, I come, I'll tell you how I found this market, the first one that I bought in, that doesn't have, that I'm not coasting in. I basically went to cities in Indiana by population. So I sorted my, my population. I prefer to buy in like larger cities are the biggest city possible just because if I buy in like a 5,000 person town, like that's just sketchy if you ask me, but it depending on the property and the strategy and stuff. But I was like, all right, I want the biggest property possible, but I want properties values to be like, I want to be able to buy solid properties for a hundred and $115,000. I also want these markets to not be like declining. I want them to at least be staying the same or ideally of course going up. In terms um, of population. In terms of population, exactly. 
So that's, those are the main things I looked at. So I literally went down the list. First city was Indianapolis. It was like the biggest city in Indiana. And I was like, nope, none of these properties are working. And you actually probably could find properties. Indianapolis is just so big. So I was like, this is too much for me. So I kept on going down the list and found basically like four or five cities in a row on this list. Terre Haute, Indiana, Kokomo, Indiana, Anderson, Muncie. Those are really the main four that I'm looking at right now. And they all just check the boxes of they have reasonable property prices. Like they don't have a lot of Airbnbs. Maybe after I say this, now everyone's going to flood the market. <laughs> and just like the demand is there. So that's how I narrow that down. And they might not be there for a 500K house or like a vacation no, experience. Definitely not. But Def- for the midterm, two, three months at a time, people who are like, oh, I don't want to live here, but I've got a project that a construction, I'm sure are you getting, is it nurses? Is it construction workers? Yeah. I'd say the past two people we've had that have been like, in my mind, home run deals is we had a construction worker or two construction workers there for three to four months paying 2650 bucks a month. That was like awesome. And then most recently, we have an insurance company who put in people for three months with the extension, with the option to extend if their house isn't ready, which it probably won't be ready, but they're at $2,800 a month. So that was like awesome. We've had traveling nurses and the one that I just told you about who's texting me now, she's a traveling nurse. The, I love the idea of traveling nurses is awesome. The only problem is if you have a three bedroom house and it's like just a travel nurse, maybe their partner, they're usually not looking to spend the amount of money I'm looking for. So we've honestly just done really well at traveling construction workers. That's probably been like our biggest one out of them all or people relocating saying, Hey, I'm buying a house. I just need a place for a month or two. Yeah. And that's honestly what I do a hybrid strategy. So I put it up for medium and short term rentals. A lot of times in the winter is when there's a calendar is available for a month or two at a time. So we just naturally get like the medium and this like I need I feel like someone should draw a diagram and show like medium term demand versus short term demand where short term you follow a bell curve summer and I'm sure even the markets you're in if you switch to short term for June, July, August, like you could make more money. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know why people go to Indiana. I would assume so that there's just more travel. But then in the off season, it's pretty much the same medium term demand, like no matter what time of the year it is, like you're just pretty much as likely to get a January renter as you are are an August renter. Am I correct with that assumption? Yeah, I would say because the property that we have that I told you, we had the construction workers and the insurance company in before we had them. So like probably for the past like six, three to six months, we were doing it where we would rent it for a couple of days at a time, a week at a time. And we made a little bit less than, I'd say we made $2,400 a month roughly. And it was way more work. So yeah, we're gonna get Thanksgiving filled. We're gonna get Christmas. We're gonna get New Year's. But you can do that anywhere. It just, and like these properties are both near colleges. So like it's easy to get graduation filled. But besides that, you might get a weekend here and there, but it doesn't add up to the same amount of money as just like a really solid paying monthly rental. So. I'd say compared to the work in these markets, it's like midterm rentals, a no brainer. If you do a short term rental, I don't know. We've tried it and it just doesn't work as well. Got it. And I want to take this back. So I think Bailey, as you can see, he's he's very much prioritizing a the amount of work, you know, he needs to do on a property. And that's a variable also given. And I want to take this back to how you started your co-hosting and how you built that because now you're focused on buying. So it's like, all right, it's the same amount of work to co-host a property as it is to own. I'm assuming that's where you're at, where it's the same amount of work to own a property as it is to manage it. I'd rather own them 
if I can. But to go back to the beginning, tell us, why did you start co-hosting? Seems like it was for you a way to get you out of having to get a job after college. It was a way for you to drop out of college, which you did do. So yeah, why did you want to build this co-hosting portfolio? And how did you build it? Yeah, for sure. So back to like sophomore year of high school, it was freshman semester. And I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So that's, that was my introduction to real estate. Before that, even like going in freshman year, I had no idea what I wanted to do. All I knew was I didn't want to get a nine to five job. Like that was just like my thing. I, anytime someone would ask me like, oh, what do you want to do after college? I'm like, I want to start my own business. They're like, yeah, that's cool. What do you want to do after college? I'm like, start my own freaking business. But I had no idea what I actually wanted to do. And I never was exposed to real estate as a kid. Nobody at University of Central Florida seemed to be that supportive of you and your UCF. <laughs> that's the place. But yeah, I, I never had like real estate experience. Like my family didn't do anything growing up. But sophomore year, just searching the Google machine, found Rich Dad, Poor Dad for like best personal finance books and started reading that. And I was like, oh my God, this real estate thing is like the most genius idea ever. Oh my God. That led me to bigger pockets. That led me to just like networking my butt off with as many people as I possibly could and joining different groups, Facebook groups, like paid groups to be in where I can surround myself with people who are just doing it. And then ultimately the short story after a year from, after a year of reading from reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, I bought my very first fix house, which is a fix and flip. And the way that I did that was I partnered with somebody and a couple people in this mastermind group that I ended up joining. So I was like, sweet, like fix and flip. That sounds awesome. So we did the fix and flip. It was not my thing, but it was cool. We made some money from it. Then we found another property of fix and flip, or it was like a wholesale. So I'm like, great, let's do that. was awesome. Then I bought two long-term rentals with, again, these partners that I'm talking about. And I was like, cool, like, what's next? It was just, I didn't really have a vision of where I was going. I was just like, you're hands on some real estate and make some money. Like, this is sweet. So yeah. that what I remember from Bailey when I was talking to him initially, and for those listening who might be younger, you might be in school, you might not have money, but you might have time. Bailey at that time had time and he offered, he would reach out to folk and pretty much be like, hey, I'm, I'd love to help you out or provide value for you. And by doing so, they in turn put him in front of the right people. For sure. That was the biggest thing. I didn't like all these deals I'm talking about. Like I didn't use my money. I didn't have good credit. I didn't have really anything, but these other people who did have those things, I also didn't have experience. So it was really just like me getting in front of the right people. And that took a lot of time to do, but I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for the people that have helped me get here for sure. That was that. I was just doing a lot of things, but not really a clear path. And then my junior year ended and I had, I had two long-term rentals that were making like a couple hundred bucks a month. Like it wasn't because I was splitting it too with two or three other people. It wasn't a ton of money. And then I had two Airbnbs that were like that launched around like July of 2021. Yeah, July 2021. And these were like humongous lake houses. This is like a really cool experience. And I was like the self-proclaimed manager on the properties because everyone else was like in their like 40s and didn't understand like technology and how to run the business. And honestly, I didn't either. But again, I had time my hand. So I was like, I'll do it. And then I was getting a management fee from it too. So that was cool. And then basically what happened is I was just like, all right, like I'm on the hunt for the next deal. Let's just keep on doing this over and over again. And then someone actually came to me and was on Instagram 
and said, hey, I have someone who just bought a property and they need a co-host. Do you want to do it? And I was like, sure. Like, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know co-hosting was like a thing at this point. But I was like, sure, like, I, I can do that. So I ended up co-hosting this property. And that very first month, I made like 900 something bucks. And I was like, 900, I didn't put in any of my own money. Like the turnaround time was super fast. I didn't have to deal with all these different partners. It was just like this one owner. I was like, wow, if I can just get five more of these, I could see this happening a lot faster than me buying five more and like having to deal with a bunch of other variables. So that was kind of like the spark for me where I was like, geez, if I can just get a couple more of these things, I just don't, that is not, not my end goal by any means, but I'll be out of the, I don't have to get that nine to five job because if I can make 5,000 bucks a month minimum, that'd be cool. I think that's similar to how I was back in probably about when we were talked first. Yeah. But I, and I still do co-host to this day. I co-host five properties. And initially it was really like, yeah, this is a place is making $5,000 a month on average. That's a thousand dollars per property. You don't have to put any cash in the game. And, and for me, it was definitely, and it seems like for you, the starting point, getting experience, getting properties. It also does help to have scale so you can hire more team members have more local, they're going to want to come to your property and take care of things quickly when you have more volume in an area. So there, there's benefits of scale, but then ultimately cash. Co-hosting doesn't require you putting in any cash and you, you take out. There are, in my opinion, and maybe I'll get your opinion on this, ultimately it is someone else's property. And then sometimes maybe there's too many chefs in the kitchen. I don't know if that's something you've experienced. But Definitely. that's that's business as a whole. That's just like having clients. Technically, they're your clients. Uh, but yeah, what I want to ask is, how are you able to, like someone listening who you know, wants to follow in your footsteps, start a co-hosting business? Obviously, you were posting on social media, and that seems like how you got your first one was you just put yourself out there. But let's say someone hasn't started doing that. What are tangible ways to get co-host clients? Yeah, for sure. So I break it down three things you have to check off in order to successfully land a coasting client. Someone needs to know you, someone needs to like you, and someone needs to trust you. The like and trust thing, that's something that I can't necessarily teach, like how to get someone. You just got to be like a likable. You got to be, there's there's ways. You got to smile. (laughs) Smile, be friendly, like just be a nice person. That's the trust factor. The no factor is like the biggest thing that people have trouble with is how do I get people to know me and know what I do and how do I know people, how do I get to know people who actually need my service? So, so is that would that be outreach strategy? Obviously, I think you did inbound on social media. Yeah. So like literally there's, and I'll name some, but there's like a million ways that you can possibly get people to know you and vice versa. What I see, I start with the mistakes that I see people do first is people are, when they first start out co-hosting or any business, but co-hosting specifically, is there like two embarrassed or too afraid to tell everyone what they're doing. So the biggest mistake I see people do is, oh, I'll just get like a subscription on Co's Marketplace and I'll just like magically just land come clients. My way. Yeah. yeah. Or like I'll just make a listing on Upwork and I'll just magically get clients. I'm not saying you can't get any from those platforms, but if you're looking to actually start and you want to do it like successfully, you have to be like putting out and like putting in effort. So for example, one strategy that has been successful is calling long-term rental landlords and asking them, hey, saw your property listed for, listed for rent. Have you thought about turning this into a short-term rental? 
if you call one long-term rental landlord, I almost guarantee you they're going to either hang up on you or tell you no. If you call 10, they're going to probably hang up on you or tell you no. It's a, everything is a volume game. I would say that's the same. That is the same because a lot of folk arbitrage is very popular. And that is the same approach is just calling. You see an apartment for sale or you see an apartment for rent. You see a home for rent. Their phone number is listed. You give them a call. Chances (laughs) are the first one I ever called. I've actually never done outreach for co-hosting. For whatever reason, I've done outreach for arbitrage. But for me, co-hosting is mostly, I mostly do it on a lake where I already have properties and I have a boat rental business. So it's just like word of mouth how it gets to me for better or worse probably should be a little bit more i actually reached out to one property just because i saw it and i was like this is such a dope house i was like i gotta i just gotta talk to them and see what's up i digress though but either way arbitrage co-hosting you got to be comfortable just base level putting a phone to your ear and having conversations with people the first call i ever did i remember calling a guy in wilmington north carolina i saw his house and i brought it up and i was like i was so timid and he just said i'm not interested in that and i said okay and i hung up and i was like all right that wasn't that bad (laughs) you know whatever for sure and for people that are like super scared test it out in some random market just start calling people just start getting rejected because get comfortable yeah and and then the first one is always the hardest one to get there it's like there's no way around it's the hardest one to get but then after you get that first one referrals start to kick in way more because usually if someone owns an airbnb they typically know someone else who owns an airbnb or them themselves are looking to buy another airbnb so the opportunities are endless once you get that first one going, but it takes time. That's what always, that's what people always like, I think miss out on is they think that, oh, those are just gonna, they're just going to get a property in a day. And if they don't get people to answer them, then they're going to give up. Got to stay with it. Also like meetup groups. That's somewhere that I gained coasting clients from going to real estate events, like real estate meetup groups prefer in person nowadays, just like easier to connect with someone if you're in person at a meetup but those are awesome ways to just build relationships get people to know you you have people that's it's all about relationships honestly yeah actually that's funny because bailey and i so bailey i'm from north carolina Uh, i spent a lot of time in new york city my girlfriend lives here and but i'm from chapel hill north carolina bailey lives in durham which is right next to chapel hill and he's networked the local real estate investor group or one of them is actually by my friends started that. Yeah. So I actually went, I went to two of the meetups there. And the second one, I actually talked to someone who ended up calling me and offering me to co-host his property, which is funny because I didn't even come there with that intention. I just friends and, but that's just what happened. And I, we didn't even talk about his property at the meetup. He just afterwards hit me up. He said, Hey, by the way, I know you do this. Would you be interested? And then I actually didn't do it. It was just, it was property where to me, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Yep. type property like it's really far out there and in pretty rural area and uh, but someone else who goes to the meetups avery <laughs> yep. avery texted me yesterday that he's doing the co-hosting for yep. that property so i just think it's funny yeah and he probably talked to him at the same thing at the meetup too so the meetups are real guys like wherever you live there's probably meetup in new york city we do about once a month we do short-term rental meetups not as much as but there's real i would just go to a real estate meetup and you find one landlord, and this is something I say, you know, for arbitrage, but it's the same for co-hosting too. You can find like one landlord, one investor. They don't need, they don't need a thousand unit portfolio. Let's say they have 20 properties and they either rent four to you or five to you, or they let you manage four or five on, on a co-hosting basis. Bang, you could be set. <laughs> like yeah. 
you could quit your job right there. That's even if it's $800 a month times four or five times five, that's four grand, you know? So you really just need one person and doesn't, again, it could be like a medium, like guys, there's a lot of landlords out there with 10, 20 properties. There's a lot of them. Like you would be surprised with how many of them there are. And I'm assuming that's how you found scale is through a couple, when you said you got to 30, I'm assuming it wasn't 30 different. If it was 30 different owners, that would that'd be very strenuous. But yeah, was there one or two like really big, bigger fish yeah. that were your clients? 100%. Yeah. One, one big fish in particular, and then a couple owners who had a couple properties. But yeah, what one big fish who like I was able to, the operation side is like for an owner. This is the other thing that people don't understand. Like the operation side, it's a lot. Like to co someone's property, of course, there's a way to, to automate it. But for someone, like an, like an investor who's strictly focused on buying properties for them to learn the operation side, like is so much work. So for this one owner in particular, I was able to take the complete, all the operations completely off of his hand. That way he was able to strictly just buy properties. And that's really how, like one of the ways I was able to grow so fast is by basically partnering with someone like that, an investor who was just like, he's looking to buy, I'm looking to operate and by me doing that, he was able to scale a lot faster and I was able to scale a lot faster. So how many properties did you grow to with this one owner? I want to say like properties, like eight, eight or nine. But one of the units was a mini motel. So it was like hotel. Yeah, I remember it was like that seven one. or eight units. So if you include, if you just go unit based, it was like 15 units, but it was like seven, it was like eight or nine properties, I want to say. Wow. Okay. So at a time that, you know, about half your portfolio was one one owner, which yep. some could say, all right, then you're a little bit too concentrated with Definitely. one guy. Yeah, I'm assuming maybe that's why you went for 30 to 15 was yep. <laughs> probably that one owner. Yeah, that, guess, that for sure. Bulk we don't need to get you into you don't have to the whole tea. But I mean, is there like a high level of sometimes things don't work out with co-host clients? Yeah, high level. I would say number one, too many eggs in one basket. Like that's for sure a thing you want to avoid. And that's even what I tell people now, okay, like, great. It's awesome that you're working with this one person, but you got to branch out on your own. That's also part of the reason why I'm strictly buying by myself right now. And I'm not taking on partners is because for like my first ten, fifteen thousand dollars I want that just to be for me. I don't want to like talk to anybody about it. I want to <laughs> wake up and not have to say a word and just make that money for me. And then, yeah. So with those 15 properties, high level, I would say high level. There was a, I'd say there's a falling out, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Of, hey, this pot is about the tea, guys. You're here yeah. for the tea. For the well, tea. it's like the story itself is so many hours worth. So I'm just trying to condense it into a sentence. I would say, I would say the trust wasn't there between us and really me not trusting him, not, not agreeing with some decisions he was making. I would say that's like the most PG way to say it is I wasn't agreeing with some decisions he was making that could have jeopardized me and like my control of actually operating these units. So instead of me waiting for him to fall off the rails and then me go down with him, I guess you can say, I said, listen, I got to get off this train. I don't like where it's going. See you later. Kind of thing. I'm sure, but I'm sure, you know, you had for, you were on the train for a few years. Oh yeah. And that train provided you flexibility and avenues onto the train that you're on today. You oh hopped, my God, you yeah. hopped, you had two trains go next to each other. You hopped onto the next train. For sure. Yeah, that, that train opened my eyes to like a bajillion different things, both like oh, tons of good things, tons of bad things. But at the end of the day, like everything that I'm doing now 
or a lot of it is like learning experiences for what I've done in the past. So I don't regret anything. And there's no nothing bad from it. It's just all like good learning going forward. Got it. Okay. So you co-host how many and you own how many at this point? 12 co-host, two own. And then for the 12 you co-host, do you charge the same management or co-host fee across the board? I guess technically no. I usually shoot for 20%. That's like the base. And then there's one owner in particular that has three now, and they're going to continue to, they have, they actually turned their long-term rentals into short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. Now it's one of those. So I'm doing 15% for them. Those are like midterm rentals. And then there's another midterm I'm doing at 18. And then the rest of the short-term are all at 20. Got it. Okay. And then how many do you own yourself now? Two. So you're at 15, 15 listings. Yep, roughly. Is there a transaction volume across the 15? That's a good question. Honestly, I don't know. And I think like seasonality is definitely a huge thing. Like I have a property right now that's doing, it's June and July already booked out. It's doing twenty to $25,000 per month for those two months. Yep, so, but in the summer, but in the I winter, know the lake houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the lake houses are phenomenal. But in the winter time, they're doing like, I don't know, maybe 5,000 if I had to throw off a number of top Do of they my got head. a hot tub? No, but we have a pool. Oh, in the winter, that doesn't do too much. No, it doesn't do it. It doesn't yeah. do anything in the winter. Yeah, yeah. Those, um, like, so, starting to add. We've just gotten so much, and this is probably my fault of posting when people are just stalking my portfolio. But the inventory of lake houses, and also I think it's just natural too. Things like this, I'm sure on the lake that you have, you manage property. There's more Airbnbs now than there was a couple of years ago. But we're definitely trying adding hot tubs and stuff. And to be frank, if anyone's listening and is looking at that lake, the numbers don't work. <laughs> stop. <laughs> Everyone's got to stop trying. Like literally, had one investor call me like two years, like a year or two ago. And he was like, he's buying this house and he's always he got this deal and he just wanted my thoughts on it. And I was like, I mean, I don't know. Like, but he bought it anyways. And then he called me back this year. It's, it's doing like 45 grand for a half million dollar lake house. I'm like, yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, there's things you could do, but he's like, all right, how much could you do if you managed it? I'm like, right, I'm not trying to tell you like what I would do to the property because <laughs> yeah. then, and whatever, it was all a good conversation. But my point being is, yeah, I guess things we're take, saying right now, take with a grain of salt as to specific areas. And I always recommend people like, I think there's a huge, I don't want to say problem, but there's just a huge, a lot of times folk who are trying to get in, whether they're trying to arbitrage, whether they're trying to buy, they're just like, what type of area, what area, literally, I'm sure you get it. You get it where it's like, what city is the best city? Yeah. What area? And then if that's your way of thinking, in my opinion, you're destined for failure. Uh, really, it's what is like Bailey has a strategy. He is finding the right type of property for the clients that he is looking for in not even a specific market, but several markets that have the same characteristics. Yeah. That Bailey's thinking about it like he's not just saying, oh, I'm buying in this town. And if I just buy something in this town automatically, we're good to go. He's saying, I want medium a medium term rental. I don't for these properties that are going to cash flow 1500 bucks a month. I don't want to have as much turnover and more to deal with. Whereas the lake houses that the lake houses cash flow, I mean, I've, if they're making 25 grand a month, what's their mortgage on that? They bought it for 650. So I don't even know. They're cash flowing a lot more, but you know, that obviously it's yeah. a much bigger house. But for that house, it warrants doing a short term, purely short term strategy. Oh, for sure. There's probably not, there's probably not a market for the medium term, but just being thoughtful of what is the type of property you're looking for? What's your buy box? What is the clients that are coming to your property? And then how do you reach them? That, yep. And then obviously breaking down the numbers. Bailey knew off the top of his head that he could rent these out for $2,800 a month. And his mortgage payment is like $750, $800. And that's really 
back of the napkin math. You guys can go to BNB Calc if you want to do more than back of the napkin math and actually want to break it down into all the individual characteristics. But really, it's you could also just do napkin math for something like that. So for sure, he's taking a deep, a step, a step. Yeah, and I want to break this to what are some tangible tips that you have for folk listening? One, and also I'm curious, actually, scratch that question. Someone asked me the other day, so for co-hosting, if you're like trying to start, so people I work with, they want to add the co-host strategy. And sometimes they're in places where they want to do a new market. I recommend like doing a Google My Business and whatever market they're trying to tackle. Is that something you recommend? Yes. I want to throw one thing to the thing you said before, because it's super important. With And then I'll answer the Google My Business thing. But yeah, like knowing like the exact market, the exact person you're targeting, all that stuff, super important. And then also the really the first thing is What's your end goal for the property? Because like I said, there's a reason why I'm not buying lake houses right now or I'm not buying like vacation style houses. And my it's strictly because my personal goal is to get consistent monthly cash flow with properties I can take out, take down strictly by myself. So don't think, oh, you have to go. What's the best market right now for vacation rentals like near lakes? What is that going to do for you? For me in a year, that's going to do a lot because that's going to be that's probably going to be more of my focus as far as a lot of tax benefits, a lot of just like more scaling with it. So there's not like necessarily a right or wrong, but you have to know why you're doing it or else it's what's the point of you finding a lake house? What if it strictly just makes you a couple hundred dollars per month cash flow, but your goal is appreciation after five years? I don't know. So it's just important to know like why you're doing it. And then going back to your question of people who are looking to get into the coasting game, like Google My Business is definitely one solid thing I would say. It's like a super easy thing to do to set up. It takes 15 minutes, not even. So if you are looking to start a coasting business, I would say, yeah, set up Google My Business. Like it definitely does not hurt. I don't think it's going to be a magnet where left you're going to get calls left and right the second you post it. But it's one of those things where you make it and it's a longer term play where you're going to continue to build on it for sure. Yeah, reviews. And then also, do you, build a, do you put a, a website up that's attached to the Google My Business? Yep, yep. You can do that as well, for sure. So you have a website. You, do, you have an outreach strategy. So you're reaching out to people who are renting their properties long term. Yep. I think I remember you saying that like you can look for like truly a furnished rentals is one of the good approaches because someone's much more likely to be willing to if they don't have to actually furnish it and they can just post it that's a lot easier than having to set up when you do set up a property for someone so let's say you reach out to someone who has a long-term rental they're looking to convert it to short you project manage the conversion what do you what would you call that a setup that you would charge them exactly a setup fee and go back to the trulia thing you said like the most recent coasting client i got it was a referral because I wasn't necessarily looking this market. It was Cary, North Carolina, the one I texted you about. Yeah. But but for there's plenty of owners just like the one that I just am working with now, where she had it listed on Zillow. She had it listed on every site you could possibly think of, but for way too cheap. Like she was doing like 500 bucks, way like 500 bucks less per month than she should have. She probably can even get even more than that. So you can even call it a thousand dollars per month less than she should have. And and hers was already furnished, ready to go. So it's just a matter of saying, hey. I noticed that. Did you, reach out, from, did you reach out to her? I didn't because I was going to, this one was a referral to me. Yeah. So I didn't have to go through this process because I wasn't looking in this area. But if I were to be looking in Cary, North Carolina or any other market. Who, who referred you? Someone from social media. Do you pay for referrals? Yes. I paid her $500 referral fee. 
Got it. And that's also one thing, one thing you could do is pay for referrals, call a realtor, talk to realtors, talk to, I guess I'll ask you, who else are good referral partners? Yeah. Realtors are awesome. What I always say is start with like your inner network. So that could be like friends and family, even if they don't have Airbnbs or they don't, they're not real estate people themselves. They always know people who are interested in real estate. So I would just say to start, you've got to tell your friends and family about it. I've seen also too, like sometimes people are too afraid or embarrassed. What are my, what are my friends or family going to say? You just have to do it. There's no other way around it. Like my parents and friends and family weren't thrilled that I dropped out of college. I went for it anyways. Like you just have to t- start talking. Hey, I'm looking to get into this arbitrage thing, this co-hosting thing, this Airbnb thing. Start the conversation. And then, yeah, for actual like professionals, realtors are great. Airbnb cleaners. That's another really awesome one where you can literally find people who clean Airbnbs, get in touch with them. And then say, hey, do you have any clients that might need some help? That's an awesome way. And especially when you have properties, it makes that conversation even easier. But again, because then they're cleaning yours and you can say, oh, tell me about the other people you're cleaning for. Exactly. But again, even starting out, you can still like the, the strategies don't necessarily change. It's just you're going to have to do more volume because you don't have any proof or any track record. So it's just, it is what it is. That's really any business. Yeah. So it's really at the beginning, it's being pretty relentless. Hey, letting your network know what you're doing, not feeling, hey guys, this is what could be a Facebook post or wherever your network is. I'm doing this. Like I'm becoming a, or I'm a co-host. I'm working. If you're part of a mastermind, like you can say you're part of a mastermind and uh, you just want to let everybody know and see if anybody has any, hey, and I'm paying for referrals. I'm paying $500 per property referral. Yeah. To be frank, like I've had people, I've had people come to me and, you know, if someone, if I knew oh, I could get 500 bucks to make this intro, I would probably, a lot of people would probably do that. Yep. So really your tangible tips, referrals is a good one. If someone's looking to get a co-host client, offer to pay for referrals. Yep. Also put yourself out there, let people yep. know what you're doing. Don't be afraid to call. Don't you see a long-term rental on there? Don't be afraid to to while and dial, build relationships. Something I usually offer as advice is if you can meet up with somebody, meet up with them. Bailey, I'm seems like you've been more remote for the most part. I'm a remote so. guy. I think in person, I think if you're brand new, I think that can maybe even help you a little bit more. Personally speaking, I wouldn't meet up with right this second where I'm at. I'm, depending on the property size, like I know you have like that mansion on that lake that you coast with the units that are going up. Like I'd meet that guy in person, but I wouldn't meet just like anybody in person right now but if you're just starting out you have to do what it takes if that's what it takes by well, that's what i did early on during covid and that's i don't do it at any really anymore yeah. i can't even remember the last time i've maybe i'll meet up at the property to look at it but i'm not gonna but early on would meet up and get a beer just grab a beer even if there wasn't a specific property that we were even going to talk about i just knew they owned five and i also just knew that my lights just went out for whatever reason right. on youtube if you guys saw it, spotify just ignore me but yeah, just meet up, be, feel comfortable putting yourself out. What other, and then I guess we've talked so much today about putting yourself in front of people, getting clients. And then obviously also it's been awesome to watch you and see how your trajectory and how co-hosting is really the start for you. And it'll be interesting to see what you're doing in 10 years. And for me, again, co-hosting was pretty much the first strategy that I used and I still use it today, but really multi-strategy approach as your career evolves. As your situation changes, you can morph. The thing that's cool about short-term rentals is you can morph it into what you want it to be. So we've talked about a lot on the front end, but then the back end, you're managing everything entirely remote. I, I know we only have a couple of minutes here. So how do you do that? How do I manage everything remote? That's a loaded question. But 
I would say systems and processes are like the biggest thing. So I would say the easiest thing. How many do, times do you say systems and processes? A million, but I'll make it more <laughs> practical. Like, like the things that are like super easy to do remote would be like pricing strategy. Like so easy to look online. Obviously, there's a lot more analysis that goes into it, but like I can price a property anywhere in the world. So that's part of the management process. That's super simple. I would say a system or kind of documents that we have in place that makes it like a night and day difference. We have number one questions that the owner typically answers when we onboard them. We, they answer basically every possible question that a guest would ask about their property that we wouldn't necessarily know, especially since we're not in person. Where's the water heater? Exactly. Where's the, where's the breaker box? Yep. Assuming all that yep. jazz. All that jazz. All that jazz. And then if when issues happen, I, this, is why I, this is also part of my pitch when I'm pitching someone to let me coast their property. They're like, oh, Bailey, like, I wanted someone in person to do it. Like, I, yeah, I know you're remote, but I wanted someone who's going to be like in person. I, I tell them, listen, I have properties where the ovens caught on fire. I've had the wells stop working. I've had roof leaks. I've had, you name the issue, I've had it. I said, just to be honest with you, whether I'm your next door neighbor at the property or I'm a thousand miles away, like all I could literally do is stand there. If I'm at the property is take a video for you. But I can't, I'm not a handyman. I can't fix the oven. I can't fix a roof. But what we do is we find the right person to get the job done as quickly as humanly possible. I know you're saying this is what I say. I know it sounds great if I'm in person, but at the end of the day, like I can't, like I can't do every possible thing. And you don't want me to do every possible thing because if I go on vacation for a week, then the whole team crumbles. But if I have a team under me, then we have a bunch of different options no matter where I am. Exactly. And that's, and that's the truth of the matter is you need people regardless of if you're there or not. You can be a jack of all trades, maybe handyman, plumber, electrician, but how often? And then at that time, if you're that locked in, let's say you're fixing something and you're getting the, me the guest is messaging you and calling you. Right. And meanwhile, you're doing electrical work. You know, it's really not the best distribution of energy. Really, you should be focused on high level, the marketing, making sure it's getting booked, uh, the pricing, making sure that you're competitive against everyone else in your market, the things that you can do digitally. And also the thing, a lot of things you do digitally, you can also have others do digitally. I know we only have a minute left, but tell me about your team, who you have doing the day-to-day -day operations. I think you've taken an interesting approach that I haven't seen many others take in yeah. the military moms yes, <laughs> approach. Yes. But yeah, go into that. What do I mean by that? I've got three team members. They're all military spouses. So just an interesting niche, you could say. So they're all actually, when we last talked, they were all US-based. We have one person who's in the Philippines, but lived in the US for a while. So she's not like your I guess, typical VA. I wouldn't call her a VA, but we have, yeah, basically three people. Two of them really handle like guest messaging. And then one of them is like the manager. So basically takes me out of the day-to-day -day operations. Do they communicate with the owners? We, we've started to transition that. That's the thing with co-hosting is like the one who actually talks to the owner. It's yeah. hard to get that from someone like Bailey who did the onboarding to then say, oh, you're going to actually, your point of contact is going to yeah. be someone else. We have started to do that and we have started to onboard them with the manager as well. That way they already know who she is. That way, like the communications, like easier to do that. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you're, let me know how that goes. Cause I'm curious on my end because <laughs> that's the thing with arbitrage. It doesn't really matter. We'll have our team put in maintenance requests. Obviously if there's something I got to deal with. Landlord will let me know. 
but really, but with like co-hosting, they're your client. Like arbitrage is more of a partnership. You're paying right. them literally monthly, fixed monthly rent. Whereas co-hosting in a way, like they're your client, which is different. Like the, the relationship is different and it's a lot more client services, making sure that they're happy and stuff like that. But I digress. I know you had a hard stop uh, yes. at the top of the hour here. So Bailey, if anyone wants to reach out to you and learn or learn from you, how can they find you? Best place is Instagram. You can just look up my name. You'll see me on Instagram. So it's like a Bailey Kramer. I think it's like the underscore Bailey underscore Kramer. The Bailey Kramer. And most importantly, if you guys got value out of the show, go to iTunes, yeah. leave a five-star review. Jeremy's the man. And I appreciate you having me on, Jeremy. That's what I needed. Thank you so much, Bailey. Yeah, guys, listening, I got to start saying that. But if you guys found this helpful or if someone else wants to learn about short-term rentals, share this to them. That's the only way this grows. I'm doing this purely for you guys. I'm having great folk like Bailey on for y'all. Hit it with that five-star. I'd appreciate that. Send me a text, any feedback, thoughts. I always want to make this better. So this week, it's been great. Bailey, thank you so much for coming and stay tuned for the next one. Thanks, Jeremy. Peace.